0: I think I should start with an apology uh, to at least one person who first heard a talk from me with this this title in Swansea as long ago as 2001. Uh, The the transparencies are the same, The, the talk has evolved a little. So I will begin by introducing my life is a boson The the title uh, is actually cribbed from uh, a Swedish film of many years ago by Lasse Hallström who's recently responsible for salmon fishing in the Yemen Uh, the the title of his film was my life as a dog Uh, and um, when I gave a talk with this Title in Stockholm some years ago. It was the, the, the way I'd cribbed the title was recognised by some of people in the audience. So, what I plan to do in this version of the talk is to talk perhaps on half an hour for about half an hour um, on the way way I was involved early on in the nineteen sixties in uh, spontaneous symmetry breaking in particle physics Uh, and uh, in the last quarter of an hour perhaps I'll uh, fast forward the story up to the present and comment on the events of the last few weeks. So the way in which spontaneous breaking of Symmetries, uh, that is, con- symmetries uh, uh, described by Lie groups, continuous uh, rather than discrete symmetries, how the idea of spontaneous symmetry breaking was imported into, into particle physics. It goes back to the <coughs> BCS theory of superconductivity in 1957. Uh, it, it comes into particle physics through the work of Yoichiro Nambu and Jeffrey Goldstone in around 60-61. And the uh, later part of it is uh, the the work of Brout and Ongler and myself and Geralnik Hagen and Kibble in 1964 and as I'll just describe what 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 we did then was really uh, patch up a, a, an omission from from what nambu had done earlier uh, and then then of course as as you know this was applied to electroweak theory f- 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 the f- theory f- formulated by Shelley glashow in published in 1961 and it was it was, as it were, bolted on to the spontaneous symmetry breaking models by Weinberg and Salam in '67, and then it became, uh, shall we say, fashionable. After the this kind of theory was shown to be renormalizable in perturbation theory by Feldman and Tuft in 19, well, especially Tuft in 1971. So I'll talk, as I say, first of all about that period and then bring it up to date. So the story begins. When I was appointed to a lectureship at Edinburgh in 1960, I was asked to be a steward at the very first Scottish University Summer School in Physics, where the students, the participants included Nicola Kabibo. Shelley Glashow, uh, Derek Robinson, and Teeny Veltman, and of those four there are so far two, two Nobel Prize winners and uh, uh, sadly one near miss. Uh, they were the gang of four who stayed up half the night discussing theoretical physics, especially I suppose elect- electroweak theory, and uh, i i wasn't i wasn't part of part of that because I had work to do and had to get up in the morning but but some of some of the people in that list will reappear in my story later so the briefly i'll just in, indicate the early history of spontaneous symmetry breaking of this kind, it, it begins with Heisenberg's model of ferromagnetism and uh, the, the uh, existence of a de- degenerate ground state for a system at infinite volume in, in condensed matter theories. Uh, the the theory of superfluidity is the next stage where, which involves uh, a Bose condens- condensation uh, and th- that was first discussed I think by Bogolubov in 1947. And the symmetry there is of more relevance to the later elementary particle theories because it's not geometric. It's the, the symmetry under a, a change of a transformation of phase of a complex wave function, psi goes to e to the i al- alpha psi, and it's a global U1 symmetry. We get closer to elementary particle theory with superconductivity, with, with a charged post-condensate. First of all, with, uh, well, I've said Landau and Ginzburg, but, but, but I get into trouble with various people from Russia when I describe it so. It's actually Ginzburg and Landau. Ginzburg was the first author of the, of the two, 1950. Uh, who applied the same ideas to uh, uh, same ideas as in superfluidity to charge spinless par- particles, uh, and uh, uh, the trouble was th- that they w- weren't taken too seriously, as. Uh, Um, proposes of a theory of superconductivity because uh, nobody could say where where you got charged spinless particles in a metal or alloy. And the breakthrough came with the insight of Cooper and then the BCS theory where it was realized that the spinless uh, particles undergoing post-condensation could be composite made out of electron pairs. Particle theories. Well, the, the Heisenberg theory of ferromagnetism probably influenced Heisenberg's ideas of 1958, nonlinear spinor theories. Uh, but the Heisenberg theory of not 1958, which was at one time Heisenberg and Pauli, uh, was not really uh, believable because of how it was how people calculated with it, uh, and uh, so that didn't uh, really have much impact. The theories which did have an impact, the theory was the BCS theory, and it came about as a result of uh, Schrieffer moving from uh, the University of Illinois to Chicago University for a year where N- Nambu l- l- learned about BCS theory, and uh, uh, he, he then was one of the people who who changed the formulation of BCS theory from the usual sort of many-body quantum mechanics into a quantum field theory language, and this made the the importance of spontaneous symmetry breaking, spontaneous breaking of a gauge symmetry, uh, rather more clear. Nambu then realized that these ideas might have application in particle physics, and uh, the model which he proposed in 1960, in particular this, this one, uh, were models in which spontaneous symmetry breaking in relativistic quantum field theory, uh, modelled very much on BCS theory, as something involving pairing of fermions, and then a condensate, um, gave right these these um, models uh, were such that spontaneous some breaking, spontaneous breaking of a chiral symmetry turned what were apparently massless spin half particles into massive spin half particles uh, and the this is really the beginning of the generation of mass by spontaneous symmetry breaking in elementary particle theory the analogy here is that that in the superconductor you you have a change from uh, the uh, partially filled energy band that you have in a conductor where the uh, uh, electrons can be excited to neighboring states in the empty part of the band with as little energy as you please, but the BCS uh, mechanism, the, uh, the condensate, produces a gap so the electrons can no longer do that and it's the condensate which, which carries the current. That's, uh, that's rather similar to the difference between a massless Dirac particle where there is no gap between the filled sea and the empty positive energy states and a massive Dirac particle where there is a gap uh, a gap of 2mc of squared. So essentially the c- models which Nambu wrote down were p- producing a, a mass gap uh, in the same way as BCS and doing it for for spin-half Dirac particles. Goldstone Uh, uh, simplified the uh, ideas involved considerably by uh, writing about field theory models involving elementary scalar fields uh, where you uh, Trigger spontaneous symmetry breaking with the now famous wine bottle potential, and the um, the, the uh, uh, Goldstone models are like uh, the uh, Ginsburg Landau uh, model for superconductivity. Uh, there 's simpler to understand, but maybe uh, it, it doesn 't necessarily follow that that way is is correct of course and here 's a comment which Robert Brout, who unfortunately Uh, died a few, not not very long ago, Uh, quotes from Weisskopf at a Cornell seminar, particle physicists are so desperate these days that they have to borrow from the new things coming up in many body physics like BCS. Perhaps something will come of it. Uh, That's I think the the seminar which uh, triggered Brout's interest in this kind of of, uh, of physics, because uh, Robert Brauch, um, until 1964, was known mainly for his work in condensed matter physics and phase transitions, and uh, he worked, uh, worked at University of Brussels, where the uh, department was, was very much oriented toward condensed matter and statistical physics. Now, the trouble with Nambu's way of doing things, which was essentially a BCS-type model uh, but not including electromagnetic effects, was that the the result of one of the results of spontaneous symmetry breaking was to produce some massless, spinless particles. The the, the Nambu jona model was a broken chiral SU two cross SU two with input as massless proton neutron because this was before quarks were invented, and they produced a bound state which looked like a triplet of pions, but it was massless. And Goldstone uh, made that uh, phenomenon intuitively obvious in models with elementary scalars because the the massless states are the excitations around the trough of the wine bottle potential. The theorem was then formally proved by Goldstone, Salam, and Weinberg in 1962 I should perhaps say it, it, it the, the the paper was written by Salam and Weinberg, and Goldstone agreed to add his name at the last minute that 's because Goldstone I think is reluctant to to, to publish publish papers he 's published very few um, it, so the theorem st- said in a manifestly Lorentz invariant quantum field theory. Uh, uh, if there's a continuous symmetry with the the in invariant Lagrangian, uh, the Lagrangian invariant, then either the vacuum state is also invariant, so there's no spontaneous symmetry breaking, or if the vacuum state is not Lorentz invariant, there must exist particles of zero mass and zero spin. And that was the, the stage at which I, I began to get more more involved. I'd, I'd been certainly very interested in Nambu's program and, and I tried to formulate models without Goldstone particles and it clearly didn't work. So that in the years 63, 64, uh, the, there was a, a debate in the literature about whether it was possible to, to evade the Goldstone Theorem uh, and the, uh, let me just get my piece of paper to do some, some screening. The first man to suggest that it was possible was in fact uh philip anderson a condensed matter theorist and what he did was to point out that in a superconductor the goldstone mode becomes a massive plasmon mode due to its electromagnetic interaction and this mode is just the longitudinal longitudinal partner of transversely polarized electromagnetic modes which have become massive in other words there's, there's a there's a minimum frequency with which they propagate. Uh, This is what gives rise to the Meissner effect, the exclusion of of magnetic flux from a superconductor. And then Anderson continued by saying the Goldstone zero mass difficulty, and he's referring to relativistic theories, is not a serious one because we can probably cancel it off against an equal Yang-Mills zero mass problem. However, the trouble with with Anderson's paper was that he, he 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 really didn't address the situation as it was in 1963 because he didn't address, he didn't confront the theorem, and people were were beginning to pr- believe that in a relativistic theory this couldn't work, and the other thing is. Uh, about the, uh, the, what he did, didn't do he didn't actually discuss any specific relativistic model he just uh, clearly felt it was obvious that it would work relativistically as well as non-relativistically well of course it turned out that he would, eventually that he was right so the next stage in 19... 19- 64 was, oh, I'm going to skip this, this one, it's too technical, uh, the, it, it, this was the, the further d- discussion on how to evade Goldstone's Theorem and um, the, there was a, a sequence of short papers in physical re- review letters arguing back and forth about this uh, and the crucial stage was uh, for me first of all uh, Abraham Klein and Ben Lee in March 64 argued that uh, well sorry there's a technical bit there but it's a question of a spectral function uh, when you look at the vacuum expectation value of the commutator of a generator of the group with a a scalar field variable, but I'll skip the technicalities. The the point that Klein and Lee made is that in something like a superconductor this uh, spectral function has a, a, a more general form than in the discussion by Goldstone, Salam, and Weinberg. uh, And the more general form allows you to evade the Goldstone theorem, but the more general form involves uh, something which specifically picks out a frame of reference, uh, which is, for uh, something like a superconductor, the frame of reference of the background in which the superfluid, moves that there is a preferred frame of reference relative to the superconductor and they thought maybe this could be done relativistically too um, in june 64 uh, walter gilbert who was in transition from become from being a uh, uh, an elementary particle quantum field theorist to being a molecular biologist wrote uh, a, a, a short note saying, "No this is impossible that uh, anything involving a preferred frame of reference violates Lorentz invariance relativity, uh, so it can 't be done and uh, then that was what I reacted to first of all in uh, uh, annoyance and frustration because he seemed to have closed the door to the whole pro- program and in July 64 after reading his, his paper which took uh, about a, a month to cross the Atlantic by snail mail, um, I, I realized that there was a way out and that the way out was if you have a, a gauge field uh, in other words field of an electromagnetic type coupled to the currents. The current associated with symmetry. So I'll now tell you a little about how how that happened and how it was associated with the remarks I made about the existence of what's now known as a as a Higgs boson. So 1964. Uh, 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 Over a weekend after reading Gilbert's paper it struck me that uh, his arguments didn't apply when there was a a field of the Maxwell type present because uh, in the uh, quantum field theory of that kind of field which has a singular Lagrangian you have to do some gauge fixing and gauge fixing which means constraining the freedom which the the potentials have, uh, can certainly be be done in a way which is not manifestly covariant, Coulomb-Gage, though people prefer to do it in a Lorentz-covariant way, uh, but then at that time Lorentz-Gage Quantum electrodynamics, though practically useful, was was a, a, a rather uh, odd <coughs> business. It, it was really f- finally clarified, I think, by Tom Kibble later. So, uh, I, uh, 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 the week after uh, reading G- Gilbert's paper, I uh, I, uh, which was I read on the 16th of July, Um, the Friday of the following week a short paper which I wrote was sent off to physics letters uh, saying there's a way out, it's gauge theories, and it was accepted. Uh, Then of course having realized this might be done I had to see what, what it actually did for the physics so what i what i did was think of the simplest possible non-trivial model which is now called the higgs model and it's what it amounts to is bolting together the simplest model uh, discussed by goldstone with maxwell theory that's all there is to it and when i did that, of course I saw that Anderson was right all along. You do have the relativistic analog of the, the, the Plasmon phenomenon. The uh, Goldstone modes which used to correspond to spin zero particles when they were massless in, in Nambu's models, now become the uh, extra states which you need for massive spin one compared with a photon which has only two polarizations, that spin one massive requires three and that's, that's exactly what, what happens. So I sent off that paper to Physics Letters, I was being a good European at the time and we were being encouraged to send things to Physics Letters, not Physical Review Letters. So I sent it off and it was rejected. <laughs> So I, I was, I was a, bit, a, bit, a bit upset about that, and, uh, and I thought, well really, why did they accept the previous letter which, which simply said it can be done, and then they reject the second letter which says this is how it's done. <laughs> so I revised it in August. Uh, by adding some extra material which I thought might suggest that there were some physical consequences of, of doing things this way. And one of the remarks I made was, it is worth noting that an essential feature of this type of theory is the prediction of incomplete multiplets of scalar and vector bosons and the scalar bosons meant uh, essentially the the spin zero massive particle or particles in the theory of which there must be at least one i mean if you've if you've got if you've got that happening for for uh, a very simple kind of symmetry u1 symmetry it doesn't go away when you enlarge the symmetry and um, so, um, this was, to me, not not surprising, uh, because well, the massive partner of the of the Goldstone bosons had been there all, all along in the theory without gauge fields. It it just didn't get affected by putting in the gauge interaction. And recently, when Frank close asked, well I'm not sure whether it was brought when he was still alive or maybe on there, why they didn't mention it in their paper which as I'll be describing was written uh, just before mine. Why didn't they say this too? They said well it's obvious and it is obvious. Uh, so the revised paper went across the Atlantic. I wasn't going to risk a second refusal for, for, from physics letters and it was accepted and uh, many years later in 1984 uh, I discovered that Nambu had been the referee of that paper so he understood what I was doing but he drew my attention to the uh, paper by Onler and Brout uh, uh, which had been received by physical review letters earlier in in June uh, before I even had my insights and it was published uh, on the day that my second paper arrived. So that was the, the birth of the boson as far as I was concerned. So uh, now I, I think I, I, I have to briefly. Fill in what happened next, and then then conclude by saying something about the last few weeks. Uh, the, the, the the following year, I I, I got round to writing a, a longer paper essentially showing how you would do some calculations at the tree level with the, the, the simple model I'd written down. By that time I was at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and uh, I, I sent off, well, preprints were sent off to the circulation list which uh, they had at Chapel Hill. And one of the people who received one um, at the end of 65 was Freeman Dyson, and I got a very nice letter from him which, which said roughly, your, your, your paper has, has helped me to understand some things which I have which not understood before. And from Dyson that was really a big compliment. Uh, so he invited me to give a talk about it at the Institute at Princeton, And that I did in um, March '66, and uh, uh, at the same time as I accepted the invitation from Dyson, I wrote to my friend Stanley Deser at Brandeis, uh, telling him that I was going to give a seminar. We previously met at a conference in London, and he'd he'd said when when you. Giving seminars on the uh, up the east coast, to let me know, and I'll arrange something in the Boston area. So, I gave a, a seminar at Princeton at, at the Institute uh, before an audience largely composed of axiomatic quantum field theorists who thought, thought the theorem, the Goldstone theorem, had been proved really rigorously using C-star algebras. And before I gave the talk, uh, Klaus Hepp, whom I'd met some years before, told me I must have made a mistake because Kastler Robinson, or that's a Derek Robinson of the Gang of Four, and a man whose uh, name I don't know the pronunciation of, is Svetsa? (laughs) Aubrey, you probably know anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he told me I must have made a mistake, but I heard afterwards that i 'd convinced Arthur Whiteman that there was something in this, and therefore I, I, I'd, I'd got by it at the institute, and the next day at Harvard was a, um, a much more lively occasion where my seminar turned into a, a kind of dialogue between me and the audience and um, I learned afterwards that, that, that when I met uh, Sidney Coleman a second time in 1979, he said, "Oh yes, I remember you." Uh, uh, back in 1966, we, meaning he and his 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 friends, were looking forward to tearing apart that idiot who thought he could get round the Goldstone theorem. But anyway, I I I think I won won on points at that that <laughs> seminar too, and the the. the uh, slightly sad thing about the occasion was that uh, Shelley Glashow was there and came up to me after the seminar and said that's nice model Peter but didn't it didn't occur to him that it might do anything for what he had uh, formulated back in 1960 61 and I hadn't really heard enough about his electroweak theory Uh, because, uh, uh, as I say, I was busy when the Gang of Four had their discussions and anyway, as I discovered years later from uh, Nicola Kobibo, they'd been smuggling wine, which I was supposed to look after as the, as the steward of the school, they'd been smuggling it uh, into a, a, a little cache in the grandfather clock in the basement of New Battle Abbey College where they held their discussions. So I, I, I didn't know as much about Glashow's work as I should have done. <laughs> Okay, so I must get to the end of this part of the story. Uh, uh, you, I'm sure you, you you know all about the subsequent stages involving uh, Weinberg and Salam and Feltman and Toft, uh, and uh, the consequence of Toft's. Uh, proof that massive yang mills theory can be renormalized uh, provided that the mass comes from spontaneous symmetry breaking uh, that was presented at the amsterdam eps conference in 1971 and then uh, a year later came the high energy big high energy physics conference at fermilab 72 and uh, at that stage uh, the rapporteur of, uh, on the subject of electroweak uh, theories, uh, Ben Lee, plastered my name all over everything to do with spontaneous symmetry breaking in particle physics. And uh, the, the other people involved were simply mentioned in a footnote, and I think they didn't like it. Uh, and um, the. Um, I think the reason this happened was that I met Ben Lee, uh, for, who was, that's, that's the Ben Lee who was part of the debate on the Goldstone theorem. I, I met him at a conference in Rochester, New York State in 1967 and the conversation in which he asked me more about my work was conducted with me holding a plate in one hand and a glass of wine in the other at a party at the end of the conference and I I didn't perhaps give all the detailed references to other people's work that I could have done in other circumstances but I think he should have done more homework on it. (laughs) 1975 after the discovery of weak neutral currents is a crucial year, uh, the paper was published in and this is the paper by John Ellis, Mary Kay Gayard, and Dimitri Nanopoulos, uh, a, a phenomenological profile of the Higgs boson, uh, in which they say, we should perhaps finish With an apology and a caution, we apologize to experimentalists for having no idea what is the mass of the Higgs boson, unlike the case with charm, and for not being sure of its couplings to other particles, except that they are probably all very small. For these reasons, we do not want to encourage big experimental searches for Higgs bosons. (laughs) but we do feel that people performing experiments vulnerable to the Higgs boson should know how it may turn up. Contrast uh, 1989, uh, just around the time when when Lep uh, Began to operate, and it, the the four people who wrote the Higgs Hunter's Guide, which was intended for people at the ill-fated superconducting super collider in Texas, said the success of the standard model has been astonishing. That was essentially what had been already discovered at and measured at LEP. The, sorry, not not at at LEP, this was uh, the the things which had been uh, looked at even before LEP started, started up. The central problem today in particle physics is to understand the Higgs sector. So that was a sort of shift of emphasis over these years. So let me come up to recent events. As you have heard, the after the uh, after LEP didn't quite get there, in spite of of of, a, uh, of, a, of of some apparent discoveries when the machine was about to be switched off, switched off, which uh, turned out not to be uh, believable uh, because there were other sources of background. Um, the the, the uh, story, since, has been the narrowing of the window for the Higgs search by precision measurements. Uh, some of them at LEP, but uh, later on at the, particularly at the upgraded te- Tevatron, uh, which was the upgrade was in, intended to to uh, look at the at the region where leopard finished and where the LHC would would uh, f- find it difficult to search and the, and the hope was that the Teletron could get there first but what they what, even if that that didn't quite happen what they re- really achieved was was to do precision measurements on things like the top quark mass and the W mass in such a way as to pr- place much stronger constraints on where the missing particle should be. And so, uh, well, the last year has has been uh, interesting. Um, there were the hints uh, in uh, July a year ago um, which, uh, which triggered uh, uh, some people in Edinburgh who should know better to congratulate me. I think the pe- people who did that would have, would have been better professionally if they'd understood a bit more about statistics, frankly. Um, there was the update in December, at which it began to look as if it was if it, as if it was really going to arrive uh, sometime within this year, and before the December announcement, I got a message from Rolf Hoyer saying uh, you should uh, you should pay attention to what 's going to be announced, but don 't don't be too optimistic, it it won't be be of the standard which we need for a discovery claim, Uh, but that might follow, or at least, I mean, he didn't put it quite this way, he said the matter will be resolved one way or another within the coming year, 2012, and I was expecting it to be fairly late in 2012. But then, In the last uh, few weeks, I've I've been giving um, well talks and doing various things at various places around the country, which have uh, people working on Atlas and CMS. And I had seen a a blog which 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 suggested that, that although the amount of raw data was 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 plenty to to settle the matter. The analysis couldn't happen uh, to the extent of a conclusive uh, an announcement in time for the Melbourne conference. And the people I talked to on Atlas and CMS uh, in uh, early early June agreed with this. So much so that when I went to the summer school at Erciyes. Uh, on June the 20, Monday, June the 25th, I didn't take any Swiss francs with me, and my travel insurance expired on Monday, July the 2nd, when I was due to fly back to Edinburgh. During the week at Eritj, there began to be hints that the pace was quickening. There were were people at the summer school who who obviously knew knew a lot which they they couldn't really communicate to people who weren't in the know, people like Peter Yenny, uh, uh, the former spokesman for for Atlas. Uh, Tejinder Verdi, who was to have given a talk on CMS towards the end of the week, cancelled some of us thought maybe he was worried about giving away too much before the CERN seminar, but but he says he was just very busy, which I can believe. Um, towards the end of the week, uh, we began to get signals from from CERN that, that it might, you know, it might not do any 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 harm if I went to Geneva on Wednesday, the fourth of July. Uh, they they would be they, they weren't in, inviting me, but they would be happy to see me and would reserve a place in the lecture hall. Uh, then then it was discovered that. Uh, 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 Jerry Gurelnick and Cole Hagen had invited themselves. Uh, the next news uh, I think was that uh, uh, Francois Englert had decided to come and, and was getting some, some encouragement. And um, the final stage came on Saturday, the, June the 30th, over lunch when a message came through to my colleague Alan Walker uh, from John Ellis, who who said, tell Peter that if he doesn't come to CERN on Wednesday, he will very probably regret it. (laughs) At that point I said, okay, I'm going. Uh, And um, before the seminar on the Tuesday, Evening um, Alan Walker and I were in, in, invited to, to dinner with John Ellis uh, uh, outside Geneva and uh, uh, Another of the guests was was Chris Llewellyn Smith who was uh, staying with him and um, Before dinner uh, John opened a bottle of champagne So that suggested what the next day was going to be like But the actual seminar itself was a uh, uh, an amazing experience it was a very emotional occasion for a lot of people and uh, at the end when the five Sigma discovery was was announced uh, people really went wild they, they, there was a standing ovation for for the for the, uh, for the experimentalists uh, there was stamping and, and clapping and it was a, a bit rather more like uh, the end of a football match where the home team has won than <laughs> a scientific seminar. Uh, so uh, that, 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 that was it. I mean, the uh, announcement from Rolf Hoyer was, was still, of course, cautious because there were still a lot of measurements to, to make, but he said, I think we've got a Higgs boson, not the Higgs boson. We still have to find out more about this particle uh and so that's the i think the conclusion of one one phase of my life as a boson thank you we have time for some questions i wonder if there are any mark um, so now that we've got the discovery lots of physicists are being asked by their friends what difference does the higgs boson make to the world around me so could you say something about, for example, which properties of an atom are determined by the Higgs boson and which are not so dependent on? Which properties of an atom are determined by the Higgs boson? Of an an atom? Uh, Well... um, uh, I mean, uh, I think when, when you're looking at, at atoms, molecules, the whole of chemistry and the whole of bi- biology, uh, a great deal of, of the particle physics that we know and love is rather irrelevant uh, because, to a large extent, all, all you need to know about is, is electromagnetic interactions uh, and quantum mechanics. and. Um, well, even things like the existence of the weak interactions and radioactive decays are more of a, of a nuisance in, shall we say, biology than, than any help in understanding. Is that a, a fair answer to your question? Well, I, guess, I guess I was thinking maybe the fact that the electron gets its mass. So, the um, I mean, first of all, of course, I don't think I need to... I don't think I need to remind this audience that uh, the the way that some people talk about uh, the the well the the brout higgs guralnik hagen kibble al. mechanism gives mass to to all of matter that, that, that what it, what it, that's not not the case it it gives it simply gives the it provides a sort of initial seeding of the mass it gives it to the leptons maybe and it gives it to quarks but but when it comes to anything more complicated than quarks like nucleons uh there, there are far more important things involved like uh, the way that quantum chromodynamics works uh so uh okay well um, maybe, maybe, maybe the, the explanation about of, of the electron masses is 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 right. That's that, that, that I think I I believe. Um, but as far as um, atomic physics and chemistry and all the rest are concerned, who cares? <laughs> Lecture theatre, which was formerly part of the chemistry department. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any other? Uh, any other? Yeah, some. So, from your remarks, I understand that you first heard the word Higgs boson from Ben Lee. Is that how it the? Oh, the. Um, well, uh, the the term I think the term Higgs boson be, began to be used by, by uh, people around the time of the paper by John Ellis et al in uh, the mid 70s uh, at the time that Ben Lee gave the talk in 1972 he actually uh, what he actually said was was higgs meson but then people got fussy about about terminology and meson is now reserved for for uh, you, you know hadrons of the right sort of spin uh, so it, it was it was hicks messon then in 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 uh, 1972. But but then it was you know that my name was applied to to everything, and I more or less uh, disowned that uh, in uh, 1984 at a co- conference on uh, the, the history of. Of weak, weak interactions uh, in Racine, Wisconsin, and uh, said the only thing, I, thing I, I think might be justified having having my name attached is is the Higgs, Higgs boson. Because I think I was the only one who explicitly pointed out that it should be should be there. As I told you, uh, Broughton on there thought it was obvious anyway. personal opinion on the uh, use of the term god particle <laughs> he wants to know your opinion of the use of the term god particle for me it's simply a, simply a, an embarrassment uh, because <laughs> uh, uh, i mean i i, I have, have never used such a uh, such a term and i never never would uh, and it was after all a kind of joke Uh, in origin, where where, uh, uh, Leon Lederman's publisher didn't like the title That Goddamn Particle, which he wanted to give to his book because the particle was so so difficult to find. Uh, So I I, I wish he hadn't done that because it it, uh, leads a lot of people who who should know better into rather spurious theological speculations. I, I, in other words, I, I don't like it. I mean, any further questions? Maybe from somebody who's not at the conference. Thomas. So notice that in the paper you actually consider Higgs goes to two photons. So that's somehow remarkably prescient. No, for, for, he said for 40 years nobody believed him. that would be the channel yes he, he's pointing out that you you noticed the Higgs goes to two photons channel in your original paper uh, oh I don't think I did I thought the only the, the only no the I, I think the, the the only decay I discussed in my 1960s 66 paper as an example of how the how you would do calculations at tree level was uh, a conjectured sp- Higgs boson into two uh, spin one particles, two two massive. I think it was that into two massive spin one particles, which were in the original model, but that's not a photon, so it's it's not. Uh, it's nothing much to do with the with the real uh, two photon process, which after all is 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 a, is a one loop process. These are all tree level things within the, the calculations in the spe- specific model. So, um, if my mother asks me when I come back from this conference, what is the Higgs boson? If she doesn't know anything about physics. What what would you say to her? How would you explain the Higgs boson to his mother? Well, uh, I I, I find it difficult enough explaining the the so-called Higgs mechanism to people who are not physicists, Uh, and uh, I I don't like some of the explanations which are given, by, again, by by some physicists who who I think should know better. Um, uh, And uh, all all I can say is that... um, you know, granted, well, granted, a whole lot, which which probably wouldn't wouldn't be comprehensible anyway. Um, you simply have to have have a, have a Higgs boson in in the theory uh, because you've generated ma- masses using this background field, uh, the, the so-called Higgs field, whatever that that may be, uh, and. Um, uh, In principle, you you might think, well, you don't need to have a particle as as well. Uh, It's the background field which which generates the the mass for the others according to how they interact with the background. Uh, And um, in principle, you could look at at the theory and, and freeze out the excitation of that field, which is the Higgs boson, by some device like making its mass go to infinity, but if you do, the theory becomes nonsense, uh, and this is already known uh, from work by, for example, uh, Chris Llewellyn Smith and also I think in the other side of the Atlantic, uh, Cornwall, Tiktopolis and others, in the early 70s when they took the opposite point of view from the way the theory was set up to say, uh, how, how would you... How how would you generate a theory in which the uh, particles in scattering had the right, the the scattering of the particles had the right high energy behavior, which means decreasing, not increasing, because any increasing amplitude in scattering uh, then gives rise in perturbation theory to unacceptable behavior of the quantum corrections. So you have to make the scattering amplitudes of the particles you've got decrease with energy. And, uh, well, Chris, I mean, his work is the one I know best, showed, first of all, to uh, do it for a theory involving spin one massive particles, You, you need to make it a spontaneously broken gauge theory. Uh, but there's one thing left that you've failed to do by just having the background field to produce spontaneous symmetry breaking. There's the scattering amplitude for the longitudinal components of the spin-1 bosons, one on another, say W1W, and that still uh, fails to decrease in a way which violates unitarity. So you've got to put in uh, a Higgs boson as an excitation to cancel that off. So that's the way you convince uh, phenomenologists and experimentalists that they've got to take it seriously.